in the book of John, the 12th chapter. Does it surprise you what Jesus says right out of the box in this passage, where he says about himself, now my soul has become troubled. By the way, this admission by Jesus of a troubled heart, he's not talking about just sort of a little heartburn. He's talking about something that is really, really heavy upon him. The word which is translated troubled is a word which is used elsewhere to describe something that is horrible. It's used to describe a situation in which a person is highly anxious, a person who is visibly agitated, a person who is repulsed by what he or she sees. It's a very strong word. One of the things that makes the Bible valid in my mind, not that it needs my validation to make it God's Word, but one of the things that really speaks to me is the candor, the way in which the Bible writers record the lives especially of the leaders. And of course, in the person of Jesus. We know He is God. We also know that He's fully human. Which led John Chrysostom, who was a great early church father who lived in the 4th century A.D., to make this statement about this particular passage of Scripture, and Jesus specifically. He says that Jesus was a human being. And human beings, even human beings who are not living in a state of sin by having a troubled soul or a troubled heart, such people are people who get hungry, but they also get troubled because of the situation in which they find themselves. The situation in which Jesus found Himself that caused this great uproar internally in Him was no cakewalk. He was not one who was taking what lay ahead of Him lightly. In fact, it was heavy upon Him. John does not record what happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he does allude to this great troubling which happened just a day or two before the Garden of Gethsemane experience. And what we see here is a picture of a man who is very troubled. If we were to go to Luke or to Mark or to Matthew and look at the Garden experience, the Garden of Gethsemane, what we would discover in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus is so distressed that he sweats what appear to be great drops of blood. Now, how do we know that? We know that because he went out and spoke to his three closest associates, Peter, James, and John. He awoke them. When they awoke, they must have been incredibly stunned by what they saw. The face of Jesus with blood dripping off, and it was falling to the ground probably because the language in Luke 22, 24, 44 rather, suggests that it was dropping heavy drops of blood. Jesus was in a dreadful situation. He, it was a situation that had to do with his getting in line with God's purpose for his life. What was God's purpose for Jesus' life? We saw it last Sunday, if you look back up the page Verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This was Jesus' primary purpose. To glorify 
God. Now, Jesus did come to save sinners, of course. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.15, for example, the Bible says this is a trustworthy saying deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Yes, He did. But His primary objective was to bring glory to God. Jesus, as He thought about what lay ahead, which precipitated this crisis in his life, this crisis not of faith, but just knowing what lay ahead and not wanting to go into that cauldron. And the cauldron was not simply a physical cauldron. It was not a torture chamber, although crucifixion was incredible. According to the scholars who wrote about this, it was the most heinous, hideous form of execution to that point and maybe in all of history that had been devised by people. The crucifixion. But the primary concern he had was he was not simply going to die a physical death of great pain, but he was going to die spiritually. How does that work? Well, think with me just a moment. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, the Bible says, Your iniquities have hidden the face of God from you. He can't look on sin. And your sins have caused a roadblock. He can't even hear what you're saying. Because God has such pure eyes, He cannot look on sin. What did Jesus know lay ahead of Him? He was going to go to the cross, and it was there that He was going to be Punished, not for anything He had done. He was going to be punished for all of us in this room. Very, very small percentage of people in El Paso, much less the world. And then all the sins of people from all eras. Can you believe what that would have been like? And to understand that His Father, who had been His constant companion in eternity... And then in his history on earth, certainly his constant companion, always in communication with the Father, that would be eradicated. He had no support in that situation, causing him to be greatly troubled. So the first thing we see here in this passage of Scripture is Jesus admitting his trouble. There is a myth about people who really follow Jesus. Number one, they don't have any trouble. Well, that's just not true, is it? We know Jesus says later in the book of John, in this world you will have trouble. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, they hated you, know that they hated me first and persecuted me first. God says through His Word in the book of Second Timothy, All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. It's a given. When we take up our crosses and follow Jesus in Christian discipleship, it's something which happens to us. But let's look at the next movement in this passage of Scripture. After Jesus admits that He is troubled, then He appeals to the Father for help. Look at His appeal. Beginning in the middle of verse 27. What shall I say? 
Father, save me from this hour? Heaven forbid. Remember, his mission is to glorify God. How did he glorify God? By dying on the cross and winning people to Jesus by paying to himself, of course, Jesus, to pay for their sins. He goes on to say there in the last part of verse 27, But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is Jesus' petition. This is his appeal. Notice the way he addresses God. He says, Father. Now, when Jesus would have thought of the word Father, it would not be the normal word in the language of the New Testament. That word is pater. We hear the word paternal in English coming from that. But the word which he would have used would have been Aramaic, which was his mother tongue. And that word would have been Abba. It means Dada. It's a word that a child would first say in conversation to a mother or a father. It was a term of great intimacy. And he had that kind of intimacy with the Father. But when he got to the cross, what did he say from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? And God couldn't even look on Jesus because of the fact that he had become sin. And to add to the agony that Jesus underwent, not only was he abandoned by the Father, but he knew that it was the Father's will to put him in that situation. Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And in so doing, he fulfilled his mission. And that is our mission also. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, 7, that you and I, if we know Christ, or if we don't know Christ yet, our mission is to glorify Him, to honor Him, and bring glory to His name. And then what does the Father say in response? What is the Father's affirmation to Jesus' appeal? that He would glorify Him. There came therefore a voice out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So let's stop just a moment. Slow down and think with me. How had Jesus to this point glorified the Father? Do we have any evidence in the New Testament leading up to this particular moment that Jesus had glorified the Father? Well, let's back off just a moment and remember what the Bible talks about when it says that we are to let our light shine before men in such a way that they may see our good works and do what? Glorify our Father who is in heaven. Well, that's us, you say, and you'll be right. But we are to imitate Christ, and Jesus is the light of the world. He lights up any venue in which he finds himself. He gives insight and he brings joy and peace into places that are overladen with anguish and darkness and difficulty. And so we can be such people too. But Jesus, how did he glorify from the time he was born until this moment leading up to the time when he died for our sins. And as the Father says here to Jesus and to those around who could understand, he says, 
I will glorify it again. But meanwhile, how did Jesus glorify the Father? Well, in His incarnation, He did. You know what I mean by incarnation? When Jesus, who had lived in eternity as God, agreed to the covenant that God the Father and God the Spirit and He had made, that He would come and He would redeem the world of sin. When He came in the form of a baby, the eternal God reduced to a span. You know what a span is? 18 inches. Can you believe it? It's true. That's what happened. When He did that, what was the response of the angels? Did the angels just sort of twiddle their thumbs? They said, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. They brought the good news of the advent of the Messiah, the incarnate God in the person of a baby who grew to become a man whom we now know as Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus, in His birth and incarnation, that in itself brought glory to God, didn't it? Certainly it did. What about those silent years? We know very little about Jesus prior to the time He turned 30. We know His family whisked themselves away when the angel came and said, you've got to get out of Bethlehem because Herod the Great has issued an edict that all the males in that village under the year age of two years will be killed. And they got away. Stayed in Egypt, we don't know how long. They returned to Nazareth, their hometown. And then when Jesus was 12, He accompanied His parents, Mary and Joseph, to Jerusalem to observe Passover. Jesus got lost. Remember that? Can you imagine losing Jesus? I can't imagine a parent losing a child. But they did. They lost, and they were just disturbed, undoubtedly disturbed. disturbed. They went days without knowing where He was. Jesus, in the next 18 years, we really don't know. He was the son of a carpenter. Probably He worked in that carpenter shop with His foster father, if you will, Joseph. Joseph, by the time Jesus began to itinerate as a prophet and as the Messiah, the embodiment of the grace of God, by that time Joseph was gone. And what did he do in those intervening years between 12 and 30? Well, aside from miracles, I think I would be on safe ground to say he did the same thing he did in terms of the way he related to people in kindness and doing things for people who other people would not even give the time of day to. He was the kind of person in those 18 years that he was in the following three years because he was the same person. He was God in the flesh. And so there was a certain amount of humdrumness probably for Jesus except for the fact that Jesus finds no human being boring. He does not find you or me someone who is not worth His time. He loves us. And undoubtedly, He loved those whom He met in that little confine of Nazareth. He made some trips, undoubtedly, to Jerusalem for some of the festivals. But for the large part, He just lived there and worked in that carpenter shop. Jesus glorified the Father in that way. And of course, as we've seen, He glorified the 
Lord on the cross. I want you to go with me to John 17 for a moment. And we're going to read something Jesus says. This is part of His final prayer that's recorded apart from what He said from the cross to the Father. It's the real Lord's Prayer, actually. Look at verse 4. These are the words of Jesus as He prays to God the Father. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, He's talking at this point, I think, primarily about the time He began His public ministry. So, what did He do in those days. How did He accomplish the work the Father had given Him to do? He said, I finished. It's the same word that Jesus uses just a little later, just a day later when He's on the cross, when He says, it is finished. It's the identical word in terms of the word itself and the grammar of it. I have finished. What had He finished? His primary assignment was to glorify God. Jesus says in John 15, 8, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So what was the role of Jesus primarily in that three to three and a half year period? It was to pour His life into a handful of people, knowing that they would be entrusted with the dissemination, the spreading of the gospel, with this message. They would be trusted with the gospel to share Christ. So he did that. He did it thoroughly and very well. The reason we know that, if you were to go to Acts chapter 4, we would read this encounter that the leaders of Israel had with two of the apostles, James, excuse me, John and Peter. And you remember the response? We probably talked about this last week. We could have the response that they had when they watched and listened to these men. The response was, they knew that they were common, uneducated men. But they had been with Jesus. You and I have that capacity. He is resurrected. He has ascended into heaven. But He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come again. How has Jesus Christ come to us today? He comes to us by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, just as sure as Jesus' body was inhabited and He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, we can be people who fulfill the purpose that God has given to us. And not unlike Jesus, did He bear much fruit? He still does through us, His church and individuals. He still does. But Jesus bore fruit in the form of these twelve who... To this day, we have a debt to. We have a bigger debt to Christ, but we have a debt to the eleven. Because they, not unlike Jesus, did they have a trouble-free life? Let me just ask you this. What happened to the apostles? Every one of them, with the exception of John, was martyred. And they were horrible, gruesome kinds of death. They died. Miserable deaths. But they did it gladly. Why? Because they were doing what God called them to do. To bring glory and honor to the Father. So, the Father speaks here. And listen to this application. We're about through today. Here's the application. The Father speaks, and it's His Word. 
And some people said, well, it thundered. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. They were just curiosity seekers, evidently, hanging around Jesus, see what they could witness or hear what he had to say. Then there were others who said, an angel spoke. Now, these people were a little bit bent toward the supernatural. But we who know Jesus Christ, we can hear the voice of Christ. Jesus says here in this passage of Scripture, verse 30, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Do you know that's true for you and me? Think about this with me for a moment. This simple section of Scripture gives us an example to follow. Would you turn to Romans chapter 8? Many of you could quote Romans 8, 28. What does it say? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His what? Purpose. What was Jesus' purpose? To glorify the Father. How did He do that? He did that two ways. By pouring His life into men and women so they could carry the ball forward and spread the gospel all over the world. He did it when He died on the cross. He took up His cross and followed the Father to the place of crucifixion. And we too have the opportunity to glorify God. We do it by bearing much fruit. We do it by the things we do that we would call ordinary. We do it in dependence upon Him. The most, most mundane thing that you do. The most ordinary thing that you do in relationship to other people Do it as unto the Lord. You'll never know how He will touch people through the preparation of a meal, a card that's written to encourage someone, a call that's made. We will never know in history the impact that will have. Let's think a moment about your trouble before we conclude here. Think about your trouble. And I'm not trying to wish trouble on you. I hope none of you has trouble. But most of us live with some nagging trouble. Maybe physical, maybe relational, maybe financial, maybe emotional, maybe persecution of some sort. Let me just ask this to you. If you are a person whose health is failing, can you... Parlay that sickness into a platform for the glory of God. I wish you had some of the responsibilities I have had and still have to go visit people who once were vigorous and active, serving the Lord with gladness, being used by God, spending their time ministering to other people who now can't do it because of physical disability. And to see some of these people, it's just amazing how the presence of the Lord is where they are. It's because they are committed to continue to do what they did when they were healthy. And that is to glorify the Lord, whether in health or in sickness. Perhaps you're suffering some sort of loss financially. If you're no longer wealthy Can you use your poverty, relatively speaking, as a platform for a demonstration of the glory of God? Well, I would say, I think you can. 
And that's what the Lord would have us to do. Regardless of what our trouble is, let's say you've lost your reputation. You've been maligned. People have said ugly things about you, none of which are true. You can use that as a platform also for the glory of God. Remembering that usually when a reputation is soiled publicly, the result of that is that there's great humiliation. You don't even want to go somewhere to be seen by people for fear of what they will say to you or what they're thinking about you. But remember what the Bible says. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that in due time He may exalt you. Jesus is the picture of humiliation and humility at the same time when He's naked on a cross and He's forsaken by God, His Father, and He's done nothing wrong. This is our Lord. And He lives in us. What is it that troubles you? Jesus, if you know Him, lives in you. And He gives you that which it takes to have that same heart to know that even the bad things are designed so that you can bring glory to God. We didn't read the next verse, 29 in Romans 8, but in effect what it says, all this is designed, that is, all things working together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. His purpose is that we be like Jesus. That's it. That we be a picture to the world of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus and who Jesus Himself is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the opportunity to look into Your Word and thank You for the incredible example You are to us. And more than an example, You're an indweller. Thank You, Lord, that You would come and live in us. It's so humbling to think of. Please help us not to waste the life You've given us but to use it to glorify You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to be dismissed. Thank you all for coming to worship the Lord today. It's been a great day of worship. And we pray that you'll continue to worship the Lord as you leave this place.